Morning, everybody. Welcome back to To The Point. We're all doing well. Apologize, been out for a couple days. Just been a busy week here on the home front, but we're back this morning with lots to talk about from this week. Things that happened last night, we're going to talk about some NHL stories, the god-awful Edmonton Oilers. We get some baseball updates from this week. Comes the managers, signings towards the back end of the show. Going to preview UFC 295 which I'm very much looking forward to tomorrow night at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. A massive card, two title fights. So we have a lot to get into there. We're going to start with the NFL. We had our first game of Week 10 last night, Bears-Panthers, and a god-awful Thursday nighter. The Bears winning 16-13, Panthers getting the push for looking at at the betting angle. It was a win for the Bears in a couple different ways. They improved to 3-7, and which you might think hurts their draft choice, which it does. But they own the Panthers pick in this year's draft. The Panthers currently have the worst record in the NFL. So the Panthers, a.k.a. the Bears, have the number one pick in the draft, and the Bears also have the fifth pick in the draft, their own selection. So they're shaping up to have some good looks in 2024, what they want to do when it comes to quarterback, improving a roster that needs a lot of help. So it was a win. For Carolina, now 1-8. and eight. Bryce Young hasn't been playing great football. He doesn't have a great offensive line in front of him. That's true. He doesn't have great receivers. The defense is pretty good, but I mean, they're one and eight and you have a guy you took number one overall and you see CJ Stroud and he's been playing really good football for Houston. They're four and four and they're in in the playoff mix in the tougher conference, the AFC. Will Levis, since coming in for Tennessee, has looked really good, has has flashed on the screen more than Bryce Young has the entire year, quite frankly. Anthony Richardson, we haven't seen enough of because he had shoulder surgery. He's already done for the year. I think Bryce is good. I mean, he had 80 touchdowns, 20 interceptions in college. He won the Heisman Trophy. He won a national championship. But he's small. You see that when he's playing. This year is a throwaway. But I think, you know, there was talk early in the year that Frank Reich and the owner, David Tepper, weren't getting along because I don't think Frank Reich wanted to select Bryce Young. I think he wanted to take C.J. Stroud. He viewed him as the best prospect in the draft, the best quarterback moving forward. And now he's got to work with Bryce and hope that it can come together. Bryce has talent. We know he's got good legs. He can do a lot of different things. They will be compared until their careers are over because you're in the same draft and you could have had CJ. He went a couple picks later. It's a tough break for Carolina because you're a bad team and you don't have your own first rounder, so you can't improve an already bad roster. They will have cap space. So they'll need to do it 
through those means, make a decision if they want to re-sign Brian Burns because they didn't trade him at the deadline. They do have good players on the defense. I think they play hard. I've never been sold on Frank Reich as a head coach. He never exactly did a lot for me in Indianapolis with his quarterback after quarterback, year over year, missing the playoffs, being close but never exactly getting there, working with Phillip Rivers, working with Carson Wentz, who's now a member of the Los Angeles Rams, the new backup quarterback to Matthew Stafford. When you're that bad and you're not going to have your own first-round pick in this year's draft, that that's a miscalculation. They wanted to move up because they thought Bryce was going to be the guy, and he still might be. But giving up next first-rounder, I don't think they expected to have one win through 10 games, obviously. They thought they were a better team. In particular, playing in the NFC South, which is full of mediocrity. Tampa. Atlanta. (laughs) New Orleans. None of those teams have been world beaters. Those teams have not flashed. They haven't been threatening at all to anybody. No Super Bowl threat in that division. And yet you have that record. Be tough for Carolina moving forward to get through the rest of the year. For the Bears, Tyson Bagents made the last couple starts. It sounds like Justin Fields might be ready for next week to return. They're at three and seven. They're not a good football team either. They're going to miss the playoffs again. They're likely going to have two picks inside the top eight. And they'll be looking to, to rebuild. They'll have to make a decision on Justin Fields. Is he your quarterback moving forward? But if you have the number one overall pick, you have options. They could do what they did last year and trade the pick like Carolina did to go get Bryce Young. They could make a selection at quarterback or they could keep the two picks high in the draft and make two selections. I thought Justin Fields was going to be the answer, and I didn't think it was smart to to trade away the pick. Sorry, to keep the pick and select the quarterback. In particular, Bryce Young, I just thought Justin Fields is a better option. I think Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Bryce Young, and he always will be at the NFL level. Justin Fields is reckless. You see, when he hurts his thumb, he likes to run. He puts himself in bad situations. I don't know if he'll ever be a great pocket passer like C.J. Stroud is. It's what C.J. Stroud did at the Ohio two Ohio State quarterbacks, but C.J. Stroud would stay in the pocket. He rarely used his legs, which is what was criticized of him going into the draft. But his pocket awareness, his ability to make the reads go to his third, fourth, fifth option, is his superpower and what makes him the top-notch prospect and the Top 10 QBR quarterback in the NFL as a rookie. 14 touchdowns, one interception. While Laramie Tunsil's only played three games, former Pro Bowl left tackle, and their starting offensive line, the five guys they had at the beginning of training camp, 
They've only played together twice in eight games this year. So it has not been easy circumstances for him, yet he's remained steadfast. But if the Bears look and you see Caleb Williams or Drake May, because I think it's starting to become a conversation. It was Caleb Williams from jump. And I I actually think he's played really good football this year at USC. Just the team around him sucks. The defensive coordinator just got fired. Lincoln Riley doesn't care about deep. You have to score 50 points to win these games and more more often than not, he does it. They beat they beat uh, Arizona a few weeks ago, fifty to forty eight. They beat Cal fifty to forty seven. So there's shootouts. All, and Caleb Williams is putting up those touchdowns. Does he have problems with fumbles? Yes. He doesn't hold on to the ball well enough, but that's going to happen. Lamar Jackson, that's his biggest flaw. Lamar Jackson won an MVP in the NFL. Every quarterback has their weakness, has something that they don't do well. Mahomes can try certain things too often. Check it down. No, I'm going to throw the ball down the field hoping for a 45-yard gain, and it's just not there. turns into an interception. Josh Allen is reckless. I have a third and five. I can run for the third and five, or I can hold up and throw a ball down the field into double coverage. Situational awareness, that's his thing. For Joe Burrow, he gets injured. He gets banged up a little bit, and it kind of affects him throughout the throughout the game, which is early in the year. When he's not 100%, when he's wearing it a little bit, his effort isn't exactly great. Go watch the tape on the first four weeks. So every quarterback, every player in any league has their warts. Caleb Williams, Drake May. People compare him to Josh Allen. Well, we just talked about Josh Allen, what he doesn't do well. Bo Nix, kind of small. He's been in college a long time. Is he going to work out as an NFL prospect? He runs well, but again, they have such a good system at Oregon. How How will it translate? There's all these different questions that need to be answered. For the Bears after this season and seeing Fields struggle, and in particular that game against Kansas City where it was really just an embarrassing game, it wouldn't shock me if they get the first overall pick and they go, we're taking a quarterback. Caleb Williams, will you come to Chicago? We realize our organization has been the feeding ground of bad quarterbacks, of bad careers. The best quarterback we've had in the last 30 years is Rex Grossman, who miraculously got us to a Super Bowl in 2006, which we might have won if the game wasn't piss-pouring rain against Peyton Manning. Will you take a chance with us? Will you keep our jobs, hopefully? Well, scratch that. Matt Eberflus is not sticking around as head coach. But Ryan Poles, if you draft him, can I keep my job? Let's work together. DJ Moore is here. Cole Komet's a pretty good tight end. Our defense needs a lot of work, but guess what? I'll do that for you, Caleb. I won't leave you out to dry like Lincoln Riley has at USC. Decisions have to be made. There's still games. Maybe Carolina will win some down the stretch. 
Other than Arizona, and we'll talk about Arizona because they made a move this week, Carolina's the worst team in the NFL. They don't have the talent. They don't have the quarterback. They have nothing that excites you about that team. And they lose another close one last night on Thursday Night Football. This weekend, we have our final international game of the season. Bunch of games in London. Then we had a break. We had the game in Frankfurt last weekend between the Dolphins and the Chiefs. We have another game in Frankfurt Sunday morning. Not exactly as uh, high caliber as the as the Dolphins and Chiefs. Indianapolis Colts, the four and five Colts, will play the Patriots, the two and seven Patriots. They've been a flat-out disaster. Mac Jones loves, finds ways to lose games. Their Kendrick Bourne's done for the season with a torn ACL. Their offensive line isn't dynamic. Obviously, Anthony Richardson is out for the Colts. Gardner Minshew in at quarterback. This is technically a Patriots home game. They're a one-and-a-half-point underdog. To me, this is a stay-away game. These Thursday nights overseas, you never know what's going to happen. The Colts are a better team than the Patriots, even without Anthony Richardson. Gardner Minshew is a better quarterback than Mac Jones, if you ask me. Gardner Minshew competes. He knows what he's doing. Colts have a two-headed monster at running back with Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor. They've scored more points this season than I, I ever thought they would. And technically, the Colts should be 5-4 and because they got hosed in that game against the Cleveland Browns. They continue to battle. The Patriots have been such a disaster. Losing a game to the Commanders last week that they probably should have won, even though they were down 10 nothing in that game at one point. But they had the momentum and they let it slip away. I'm going to watch it because it's 10.30 in the morning on a Sunday, and why not? I wouldn't bet on this game. Because the smart money is to bet on the Colts, minus one and a half. But I have a sneaking suspicion that the Patriots are going to win this game. A backup quarterback overseas, just weird energy. However, if the Colts win this game and the Patriots fall to 2-8, and eight, the Patriots then have a bye week. I think when they come off their bye, if they lose, if they fall to 2-8, and eight, We'll hear that Will Greer is going to be the quarterback for the last six games of the season for the Patriots. The last seven games of the season for the Patriots. Will Greer was on the Cowboys practice squad. Then he went to the Bengals practice squad and the Patriots brought him in. Bailey Zappi is technically the number two quarterback, but they've seen Bailey Zappi play. I think they feel the ceiling of Will Greer is better, former West Virginia quarterback. 
So if the Patriots lose and fall to two and eight, I think we will see a quarterback change for the Patriots moving forward after their bye week. But again, don't bet this game. Very interesting game on Sunday. Browns at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens beat the Browns in Cleveland in week four. The Browns did not have Deshaun Watson, however. These two teams are two of the best defensive teams in all of football. Getting to the quarterback, simulated pressures, they can do it all. Miles Garrett, certainly a defensive player of the year candidate. The Ravens put up 37 last week against the Seahawks. I like both of these teams in the loaded AFC North. If Deshaun Watson can start to play better football, the the Cleveland Browns will be a playoff team because their defense is so talented and Amari Cooper is still great. You have David Njoku and Nick Chubbs hurt, but they can still run the football in Cleveland. The Ravens last couple years have not been a good home team. They have been this year. They've crushed good teams at home, Seahawks and, and the Lions. To me, this game is about ball security. Lamar can't turn the ball over. Deshaun Watson, who has more interceptions than touchdown passes this year, cannot turn the ball over. Making smart decisions will be key to success. This is also important because the Browns have already lost the Ravens. If you lose this game, you're 5-4, and four, and the Ravens would be 8-2. and two. I find it hard to believe that the Browns would catch the Ravens at any point after this. It's the way the schedules look. Browns still have to play the Bengals again. Have to play this. You got to play the. You got to go through your schedule. And the Ravens would own the tiebreaker because they would be two and zero against you. The Ravens don't have any. A stud other than Roquan Smith on their defense. No star, superstar type player. But they play as a unit and they know how to perform. Jedrick Wills, the left tackle for Cleveland, is also he's out for at least four weeks as he's on the IR. That's a big that's a big loss. A couple weeks ago I bet on the Lions and I got Punched in the face for it. Cleveland will be better than they were in week four because they have better circumstances around them. It's a divisional game, so it'll be tight. It'll be close. We're going to see some turnovers. A great game. And if you're feeling spicy, I understand the the want to take the Browns here. I have it myself. I'm, I've thought about it all morning. It's not a bad gamble. I don't think the Browns will win the game because I think the Ravens are too good. But can the Browns defense keep this game close? Absolutely. 
But the Ravens are such a well machine right now. They have so much confidence. I don't think this is the game that's going to set them back. So I would take the Ravens minus six and a half because I just trust that team more in big situations. Green Bay heading to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers. Watching Green Bay this year, you would think that they're playing a team with a 5-3 and three record, that they would be a 7-10 to a 10 point underdog. Because yes, they beat the Rams last week, but their offense has been putrid since about week three. Jordan Love is showing no confidence, and they beat Brett Rippon of the Rams, who was then cut on Tuesday when they brought in Carson Wentz. So that's how good Brett Rippon was. Packers' defense is fine. It's not not the weakness of their team. It's definitely their strength. But the Steelers are only three-point home favorites against a really bad Green Bay team. Steelers' offense comes alive in the fourth quarter. Steelers' defense is there from the beginning. T.J. Watt, to me, should be the favorite currently to be Defensive Player of the Year. He's playing that good of football. Highsmith's been fantastic. Cam Hayward is back. The Steel, This is Mike Tomlin, his voodoo. He finds ways to win games. They're 5-3. and three. And quite frankly, this is one of my easy locks of the week. The Steelers are winning this game, and they're winning by more than three points. Steelers aren't a great team, but they find ways to win. Green Bay is horrible offensively. I don't trust them. They've shown me nothing. They have to travel on the road to go to Pittsburgh to play in front of that crowd in November. Not not happening. Steelers, minus three, easy pick of the week. Another marquee game. Houston Texans visiting the red-hot Cincinnati Bengals. This is another six-and-a-half-point spread, just like the Ravens game. Houston obviously gets a big win against Tampa Bay. C.J. Stroud, five touchdowns. Cincinnati wins on Sunday night. Sounds like T. Higgins is not going to play in this game. He's not been practicing all week. Jamar Chase, who hurt his back, will be playing. Houston, no big injuries to report. Everybody's practicing. Cincy looks like a team that's on the come up, that started off slow and they're starting to gain momentum. Joe Burrow's playing some great, playing great at quarterback. Lou Anarumo in that defense, simulated pressures, getting at him. Logan Wilson, their guys, they know what they're doing. If Cincinnati can unlock a tight end on their roster, which I doubt is going to happen because they don't have a great one, then their offense would be truly unstoppable. But we'll wait and see what happens with guys like Tanner Hudson, uh, Osiasai, and Irv Smith Jr. Watching Houston last week, and they put up points. See, I talked with CJ Charles about how good he's been. You want to take Houston, even though they're on the road and it's six and a half, they can keep the game close. C.J. Stroud's a better quarterback as a rookie than Joe Burrow was, which is crazy because Joe Burrow was fresh off winning a national championship at LSU. 
and you think, well, he's played great. The offense is clicking. Dalton Schultz, Tank Dell, Robert Woods. It doesn't matter. He finds ways to get the ball to different guys, and they score touchdowns. He hasn't had really his rookie game. He's had one turnover, one interception all year long. There's got to be a game where you kind of get punched in the mouth and see how you overcome it. Bryce Young has had them. He had two pick sixes last week against the Indianapolis Colts in that loss. I just I think Cincinnati's getting better by the week. They're growing in confidence. They feel better about themselves. Their defense is great. Their offense is coming along. Even if T. Higgins does not play, Jamar Chase is an unstoppable force. Tyler Boyd will still be on the field. I'm going to take Cincinnati minus six and a half because I think money will be coming in on Houston because of the way their offense has been clicking. But it's a mirage because I think Cincinnati just continues to get better. New Orleans Saints at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings, obviously, no Kirk D. Cousins. Josh Dobbs came in miraculously last week and got the win. Didn't know players' names, didn't know the signals, had to get his coaches to help him, and it was one of the best stories in recent memory. He's played on five teams in the last 15 months. They lost Cam Akers for the season with the torn Achilles. So a team that already struggles to run the football has lost another weapon. The Saints are 5-4, and four, just like the Vikings. The Saints, with Derek Carr and the weapons, you look at their team offensively and go, this team should be a hell of a lot better. They should be explosive. It should not be, okay, Taysom Hill comes into the game every time you're in the red zone, but that's the focus of the offense now. But the Saints have won a couple in a row. They're starting to gain momentum. From the beginning of the year, I said they're the best team in the NFC South. Just on paper, they are. Defensively, Derek Carr is an upgrade over Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston. Andy Dalton, who was their quarterback last year. This is a tough one because I think these two teams are very similar. No Justin Jefferson for the Vikings. A defense that's really improved this season for Minnesota, keeping them in games. The Vikings are at home, and they're a a two-and-a-half-point underdog. With Olave and Thomas, you look at the Saints and say, you should be better. The last couple weeks, they covered the spread against the Colts. I didn't think they would, but they did by, by a touchdown. They covered the spread last week in their – try to remember every game they play now. I'll go back to that just a second here. Week 9 for the Saints. They covered the spread against the Bears just by a a, a thin number. Oh, no, sorry. They didn't cover the spread. It was 8.5. They didn't cover the spread. This is two and a half because they know these two teams are close. Minnesota at home, but it's in a dome. Saints are used to playing in a dome. Good defenses. 
Josh Dobbs had his moment last week where he came in and he made it happen. He'll have an opportunity to practice all week, learn people's names, all that jazz. Addison's been great. TJ Hawkinson is fantastic. I like the Vikings, but again, I don't. I wouldn't feel comfortable gambling on them because the Saints. It's just a weird game. These two teams, they're very similar. No team like the Saints aren't good. Neither are the Vikings. <laughs> neither team's gonna win a Super Bowl. The Saints might win their division because the division is bad, but neither team is threatening. Neither team. You really look at it and go, okay, well, Josh Dobbs now in the Vikings, they can go on a deep run. I don't see it that way. They they might get further than they would with Jaron Hall or Nick Mullins if they didn't upgrade the quarterback position. But to me, the Saints are still they can unlock more things as the week as the weeks go on. They can be a better team when it gets to playoff time. So I do think the Saints will go into Minnesota and win this game. Saints minus two and a half. San Francisco 49ers coming off a bye in Jacksonville to play the Jaguars coming off a bye. Chase Young will make his debut for San Francisco. Defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes is going to be on the sideline this week as D'Amico Ryans used to be. So he's out of the booth on the sideline. Debo Samuels returning for San Francisco. Trent Williams hasn't been practicing, so it sounds like he's going to be out at left tackle. But Debo being back is a big, big move for the team. This game is fascinating because San Francisco has lost three in a row, and then you go on a bye. And you go through the trade deadline, you upgrade your team last week, and now you look and say, okay. Nick Bosa, Chase Young... Armstead, Hufunga, Lenore on the corner position. Our defense is pretty good. We just have to put it together. Offensively, Brock Purdy's had some struggles, but he's getting weapons back, and it should be improved. Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence over the last number of weeks has played some great football. They beat. They haven't lost since week three. You go beat the Bills in London, you win the next week in London, and you just keep it going. You come back, and you've had some impressive victories. They've beaten the Colts twice this season. They're going to win the AFC South again. And they're they're in a in the AFC with Baltimore and Kansas City with some really good teams, and they have been in the fight with them the entire season. Jags' offensive line has never been fantastic. You look at it and go, San Francisco has a better defense. They have better skill position players, although ETN is an awesome player in that Jacksonville offense. Christian Kirk has fit perfectly. So all that can be thrown out the window. Can San Francisco lose four games in a row with this talented of a team? That's the question. Jacksonville at home is not exactly... An environment that's going to scare you. It's not going to be a loud stadium. But it's still a big game. And I think they realize that, okay, we have a pretty damn good team again. 
We were in the division around with the Chiefs last year. Maybe we can make another run. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Jags could be the number one seed in the AFC, quite frankly. I like the Jags in this game, plus three. This is going to be a close affair. Jags are at home and you're getting plus money. Trevor Lawrence can make things. This is a game for him where he can just go out there and stake his claim. And say, I'm one of the best quarterbacks in the sport. I continue to get better. This team has a lot going for it. We trust ourselves. Press Taylor, Doug Peterson. We're going to get the ball out of our hands quick. Into the hands of the playmakers. And I'm just going to let them cook. Here Kirk. Here ETN. Here Jamal Agnew. Evan Ingram. The Jags are underdogs. And you look at it on paper and go... They sh but Minnesota shouldn't have beat San Francisco. But they threw the ball over them the entire game. Kirk Cousins just threw it around the yard. Christian Kirk can't be the Jordan Addison in this game and break off plays and make things happen. Chase Young's a good addition. Absolutely. But I think the Jags are going to cover the spread. Not only do I think they're going to cover the spread, I think they're going to win the game outright. Improved to 7-2. and two. And get the statement win of the weekend. Jags plus three. Tennessee at Tampa Bay. The Ryan Tannehill era in Tennessee is officially over. Mike Vrabel came out this week and said Ryan's healthy, but he's going to be our backup moving forward. So that means Will Levis will be quarterbacking the Titans for the remainder of the season. He's looked really good. Played two games in four days because they had that quick Thursday night turnaround against the Steelers, if you recall. He's been comfortable. He's made big throws. They're 3-5, and five, but they played better than the 3-5 and five team for, the most, for most of the year, quite frankly. Tampa was in that shootout with Houston last week. They should have won the game, but their defense let them down. Baker Mayfield went on that late rally. But a Tampa, a Tampa team that I thought was going to be led by their defense, still had a lot of veterans on it, good players from their Super Bowl winning team, like Shaq Barrett and Jamel Dean and Levante David, haven't exactly been great the last number of weeks. Two, three, and five teams that with a loss, you really get eliminated from playoff contention in my mind. It's hard to overcome it. You need to be four and five and, and keep it together. For Tampa, I think, they, I think they look at it and go, we need to win this week because if we're four and five, we're still in the mix of our division. Saints are five and four. The Falcons are four and five. And the Panthers stink. But with a win, we're in, we're in contention. Hopefully the Vikings can do us a favor and the Saints take a loss. And we can move forward from there. Baker Mayfield's played pretty damn good at the quarterback position all year long, quite frankly. He hasn't been the problem. It might have been a, a debate at the start of training camp. Who should be the quarterback? Who's the better player? This, that, and the third. To me, he's been great. He didn't have a turnover last week. 21 for, two, 21 for 30, 265, two touchdowns. 
12 touchdowns, four interceptions on the season. Three fumbles, but hasn't lost any, completing 65% of his passes, 92.7 rate as a quarterback. You're going to take that. He's, he's, he's not one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but he isn't a problem either. He's going to compete when he's not injured. He's a solid guy. This game's a, a toss-up. Tampa's a favorite by one and a half, one and a hook. They can score points. I believe Tennessee can as well. I'm going to take Tennessee plus one and a half. I like Will Levis. Mike Vrabel doesn't believe in tanking, so he's not going to be a guy to go, okay, let's get a better draft pick. No. DeAndre Hopkins, they kept Derrick Henry for a reason. I think Will Levis will have a big day through the air. C.J. Stroud just threw for 470 on that Tampa defense. I think Will Levis can do some damage. DeAndre Hopkins had three touchdowns two weeks ago. Traylon Burks should be in the lineup. Oconco at tight end. I think it's going to be another game that nobody watches, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I expect high scoring. But I think Tennessee escapes Tampa with a win. They improved to four and five. Tennessee plus one and a half. Detroit Lions at the Los Angeles Chargers. Detroit's coming off a bye. David Montgomery is returning for the for the Lions this week. So we'll have Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery back on the field together. Detroit's been one of the most dominant teams in the league, other than that Baltimore game. Chargers are now four and four. They're back in the mix in the AFC. The Chargers are so frustrating. I don't think Justin Herbert's played well at all this year. Hasn't really popped off the screen. They're off. Keenan Allen's been uh, wonderful. But this Chargers offense should be better. This Chargers team should be better. Their defense has started to pop a little bit. Joey Bosa had three sacks and four tackles for a loss on Monday Night Football. And Morgan Fox had a hell of a night as well. So the defense is starting to come together. Brandon Staley, I hate him as a head coach. That's We've talked about that tons. He, he's never going to be my fan favorite here. But this is an interesting game. I bet against the Chargers on Monday night with the stupid Jets, and the Chargers crush them. Ugh, the Jets. They're a three-point dog at home. This is a game for me. How good are the Lions? How good are you, Detroit? Because you can beat your Green Bays. You had a, a great win against Kansas City to open the year, but that's opening night. It's a little weird, different circumstance. You get credit for the win. But is it impressive as beating them in Week 14? For me, no. Just one guy's opinion, but only opinion that I really care on this show. So that for me, it doesn't, doesn't hold as much weight. You play at Baltimore. And you get smoked. You get blown off the field. You don't even look like you're in the same realm as the Ravens. Go win in Green Bay on the road. Okay, well, Green Bay can't score points. And Jordan Love stinks. And Matt LeFleur could be unemployed by the end of the year. So, okay, great. But can you get a statement win? 
you might say, well, Chargers on a state win, but you got to beat these teams. To be looked at as a great team, you have to be able to win on the road and you have to be able to do it against good teams. They've won in Tampa. They've won in Green Bay. They won in Kansas City. So three of their six wins have been on the road, but against teams that I don't consider very good. Bucks not a winning record. Green Bay doesn't have a winning record. Kansas City obviously does. You lose 38-6 to the Ravens. Your last game against the Raiders, you won 26-14, but they didn't look great in that game either. The NFC is ripe for the picking. Eagles are 8-1, but they have their flaws. Cowboys are the Cowboys. They'll always be the Cowboys, and they'll find stupid ways to lose games. That's their MO. That is their magic elixir. Uh, Seattle, bad offensive line, quarterback, inconsistent play. They're in a, San Francisco's lost three in a row. Could Detroit be in the NFC Championship game this year? Absolutely. However, coming off a bye can be a good thing, but it can also be a weakness. You're coming off a bye and you're a little casual and you, you feel good about yourself and you kind of let your guard down. I think sometimes it's better to come off a bye week and play another team that's coming off a bye week, like San Francisco and Jacksonville, for instance. Chargers just played Monday night. Beat the Jets. In MetLife. I'm picking the Chargers plus three. Detroit's a better team. But the Chargers defense is starting to play well. And I'm banking on Justin Herbert having one of those games that you can remember. Keenan Allen is still healthy. Quentin Johnson, Austin Eckler. I'm excited to... uh, Scratch that. Scratch that word. I'm looking forward to this game because both teams have good defenses. Both teams have good pass rushers. I think the Chargers are going to win an important game at home for their season. They need this game more than the Lions do because the Lions are still going to win their division. Because the Lions, after this game, host the Bears, host the Packers, go to New Orleans, go to Chicago, host the Broncos, go to the Vikings, Cowboys, Vikings. How many games are they losing in that stretch? Two? Maybe? So you finish your season 12-5? Uh, and five? You'll win your division and you'll be in contention for likely the second seed in the NFC, even with that record. Maybe it'll be 13-4. and four. Maybe you don't lose two games in that stretch. A lot of division games, which are tough, but I'll take a division where I get to play the Bears and the Packers and the Kirk Cousinless Vikings. Chargers, plus three. New York Giants at the Dallas Cowboys. Daniel Jones is out for the year. Tyrod Taylor has broken ribs. They traded Leonard Williams. Darren Waller is out. Evan Neal, the right tackle's out. Their left tackle's hurt. The Giants are a mass unit, and they're a mass unit of 
bodies that, quite frankly, aren't very good. Tommy DeVito, not Danny, but Tommy DeVito, formerly of Syracuse University, will be making his first career NFL start on Sunday in Jerry World. Week 1, Dallas beat the Giants 40 to goose egg, you can recall. That embarrassing loss which started this downward spiral for the Giants' season. Cowboys are coming off the loss to the Eagles in a game which they should have won. Dak Prescott's playing great football. C.D. Lamb looks confident. They're 5-3. and three. The question is who's going to win the game? It's going to be Dallas. The spread is 17 and a half points, by far the biggest spread of the weekend, and it's not close. Other than that, the biggest spread is six and a half. Hate that. I love big spreads. I love them in college football. I love betting on underdogs because when you bet on underdogs, that's how you make money in gambling. Betting on underdogs, that's how you bring home the bacon. You bet on favorites, you bring home dimes, you bring home little uh, crackers, you bring home those crackers you get at church to your kids. It's sustenance, but it doesn't. you don't want them. Your kids don't want them, you don't want to go to church, you still have to eat them. But you want to make money, you want to be, you want to do stuff, you bet on underdogs. But I don't even have the courage to do it here. The Giants suck. 17 and a half points is a lot, but Tommy DeVito can't throw the football. He had two interceptions on three passes in the second quarter last week. The Giants are a mass unit. Brian Dayball's face is getting redder by the week. Dallas needs a bounce back. They are front runners. When they get a lead, they will pour it on you. They did it to the Rams. They they did it to the Giants. And when they lose a game, they always win the next week, and they seem to do it by a lot. Dak will have three, four touchdowns, a couple, a couple on the ground. Dallas is going to crush the Giants. Just an awful football game. Thank God it's not Giants-Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Dallas, minus 17.5, but don't bet it, because you're betting on a 17.5-point favorite. Loser. Washington football team at the the Seahawks. Commanders winning against New England on the road last week. Seattle losing in not, not a close game to the Ravens. Washington had traded away Chase Young. They traded Montez Sweat to Chicago. And I thought they'd go in to beat the Patriots. And they were an underdog in that game. They still had a decent pass rush. I like Sam Howell. He's a gunslinger. He makes a couple throws a game and you go, what the hell are you doing? You should have checked it down. But I actually think he's a pretty good pro. Washington might not want to hang on to him, but somebody else will because there's a lot of bad quarterback play in the NFL. I mean, God damn it, Tommy DeVito is starting a game this weekend. To me, Washington is, is like a lot of these teams. You're just, you're just there. They're 4-5. and five. 
Seattle's 5-3. I think Washington's as good as Seattle. Seattle's defense is very good. Washington has their problems. But th- I thought this game would be closer. This is a six-point spread. I don't understand that. The, the Seahawks have not been able to stop people from rushing the passer. Fact. They've been getting run at every week. Geno's turning the ball over. He's getting sacked. Their offense is, is tearing down a little bit. Their defense has been very good. But Washington can keep this game close. I believe that. I don't know if they win, but they don't have to. This is, And now the, I see the number. The number's up to six and a half. I'm on FanDuel right now. Six and it used to be six. It's now at six and a half. Go bet on this game right now. Commanders plus six and a half. They might win this game outright, even if they don't. Six and a half. Just have to cover the number. They've been covering spreads for me all damn year long, and they're going to continue to do it. Seattle's five and three, but they're not the kind of five and three you look at and go, that's going to be a threatening team. Seattle's not as good as they were last year. Their offensive line is completely battered. Geno doesn't have time, and he's panicking a little bit. Sam Howell will have a bad turnover with the Seattle defense. But he's a he competes. The guy just knows how to play. Commanders plus six and a half. This is a two. Uh, this is an early five o'clock. I forgot about this one. Falcons at the Cardinals. Kyler Murray is returning for the Arizona Cardinals. Don't understand it. The Bears have to be thrilled. Kyler Murray doesn't guarantee you wins because the Cardinals team is not very good. Kyler Murray is going to be back, and James Conner is going to be back, who, when healthy, is a pretty damn good running back. Clayton Toon put up zero points last week. The Falcons have Taylor Heineke, the Green Lizard, who we all love. Drake London's returning after missing last week's game. But the Falcons are the Falcons, and they just they are always in the same position. There's something about being back, and I think Kyler Murray's going to be really good in his first game back. You're you're at home. You're playing the Falcons, who have all kinds of talent, but find ways to screw it up week after week. Cardinals beat the Cowboys, if you recall. So they're a bad team, but they're not that bad of a team, because they beat a team who has a 5-3 and three record. It might go disastrous the rest of the year. But I think Kyler Murray will have a strong return. He'll make things happen. Hollywood Brown down the field, the old Oklahoma connection. Give me Arizona plus one and a half. The last game of the day on Sunday Night Football, why this was not flexed is beyond me. New York Jets at the Las Vegas Raiders. Woof. (laughs) Raiders, new head coach, Antonio Pierce. Aiden O'Connell, new quarterback, new sense of life in Vegas. Jets just gave up eight eight sacks to the Chargers. Zach Wilson, nothing happening. Give 
Jets are a one-point favorite on the road. I think both teams have pretty good defenses. Both teams have quarterbacks that you don't trust. Both teams have elite wide receivers, Garrett Wilson and Devontae Adams. I look at the Raiders and that Jets offensive line that struggled last week. Well, Max Crosby's pretty damn good. He's one of the best defensive players in the entire league. So he could be a problem, putting him in different matchups. The Raiders can run the ball like they did last week. The Jets could not against the Chargers. This is a trap game for both teams. I think they're both very similar. Aiden O'Connell, Zach Wilson, there's not much difference between the two guys. You could argue Aiden O'Connell's better. To get this Sunday night interesting, you kind of have to gamble on it. The Raiders are at home. They got that new feel with the coach. It's an easy bet to bet on a team that fires a coach and then brings on a new one right away. So I bet on the Raiders last week, and that was an easy one. In particular, because you're playing the Giants. But I think there's some it's it's smart to bet on this team again. That Jets offensive line's an issue. Max Crosby coming around the edge. I like Vegas plus one on Sunday night. But there are a number of interesting games, just the Sunday night football game is not one of them. College football this weekend, we only have a couple weeks left, and that's sad. We have some big games. Alabama continues their ride of getting back to the top of the standings. They're currently eighth in the college football rankings. They are at Kentucky this week, and Kentucky had a great start to the season, but they've been puttering out. They're a ten and a half, Kentucky's a 10.5-point underdog. I don't see them covering that. Alabama can run the football too well. They're starting to gain momentum. Alabama, minus 10.5. Michigan at Penn State. The talk right now is Michigan. They stole signs. They're stealing information. They should be suspended. They should this, that, and the third. If it's a rule and they did it, they should be suspended. I don't think it's that big of a deal because it, it happens in sports all the time. But they're being held accountable for it. They get Penn State. Penn State, who played Ohio State in that dreadful game. James Franklin seems to always have a team that gets two losses in the Big Ten, but he loses to Ohio State and he loses to Michigan. Michigan's better than Ohio State. J.J. McCarthy is a Heisman candidate. They played really good football. This is Michigan's first tough test of the year, and it's going to be November 11th when you get it, which is staggering that they've had that easy of a schedule. But, hey, it's worked for them. I thought this number is going to be a lot higher. It's only four and a half points. Michigan has a better defensive line. Michigan has a better I think you get, they might not have a better quarterback, but they have a better system to create big plays. They don't let Drew Aller cook in Penn State. It's all conservative. It's all boring, mundane. Michigan, it's, it's a road game. It's tough. 
Happy Valley, all that. But Michigan's just a better football team. They're better coached. They might know the systems. They might know the signals. I don't know. But Michigan minus four and a half. I thought this was going to be a way bigger number. Easy for me. Michigan minus four and a half. Georgia Tech at Clemson. Clemson won last week against Notre Dame. A big win for the program. And Dabo Sweeney yells out, you should buy stock in us now because we're only going up. Okay. Well, I'm going to do the reverse of that. Georgia Tech beat the University of Miami. They've had some upsets this year. They've been in close games. The ACC is all the same. There's no great team, the ACC. Florida State's undefeated, but they have their flaws. Florida State gets a loss. They're not going to the playoff. Clemson should win at home. They're a very good home team. However, Georgia Tech's getting 14.5 points. Clemson's no juggernaut. I like Georgia Tech to cover the number. Georgia Tech minus uh, plus 14.5. Let's see. Texas Tech visiting Kansas. Kansas has been impressive all year. Lance Leipold's got a really good program there. They believe in themselves. They're reestablishing themselves as a brand in college football. Kansas, three-and-a-half-point home favorite. They will win that game. Virginia Tech at Boston College, the Hokies. This surprised me. Virginia Tech's been decent. Boston College is in every game. Boston College was an underdog last Friday against Syracuse. They went and won the game, and they were an underdog at home. This Saturday, they're at home. They're an underdog against Virginia Tech, who aren't a very good team either. Give me Boston College, plus one and a half. They're finding ways to win these bad ACC games. Arizona visiting Colorado. Coach Prime now at four and five. Arizona six and three, having a really quiet, great season, the last season for the Pac 12, but they are a tough group. Colorado's offensive line just isn't good. They can't run the football. Ten and a half's a lot for a team that you don't see a whole lot of in Arizona. But I don't think Colorado will cover the number. Arizona minus ten and a half. University of Miami at Florida State. Rivalry game. Tyler Van Dyke has been a disaster for the University of Miami. He's turning the ball over, not doing things right, but I don't like I think Florida State has their flaws. I, I think uh Jordan Travis is phenomenal. He makes every play you want. They got Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, who are two great great uh, players. And Miami did announce that Tyler Van Dyke will start. It was kind of, it was kind of up in the air what they were going to do with the quarterback position. But they're going with the guy that they've had all year long. 13, it's a two touchdown spread. Miami's had their moments this year where they've looked like a really good team, but they're now 6-3, and three and they're on the downward spiral. Florida State's at home. I think Florida State will win the game, but I think Miami will cover the spread. They're going to battle. They're going to play hard for Mario Cristobal. Miami plus 13.5. Oklahoma State at UCF. Oklahoma State, huge win against Oklahoma last week in the last bedlam. You get Central Florida, 
who just find ways to be in games. They nearly beat Oklahoma. They covered that spread. They're at home against Oak State. Oak State, huge victory. Can you come down from that moment? I think Oak State will still win this game. Oak State minus two and a half. Rutgers at Iowa. Why is this interesting? The over-under in this game is 28 and a half, which is the lowest number in the history of college football. Rutgers doesn't score. Iowa doesn't score. Iowa only has one loss on the season. So they have two losses on the season. They should only they should only have one loss in the Big Ten because of some fair catch against Minnesota, which was bullshit. Rutgers is six and three. Greg Schiano's got a good program down there. They don't have a great quarterback. Don't have a whole lot of talent. Not a whole lot of money because it's Rutgers. But they built a good team. They battled for a half against Ohio State. First of all, it's twenty eight and a half. It sounds absurd. Take the under. Take the under because both these teams do not put up points. And I take Rutgers plus one and a half. The under and Rutgers plus one and a half. Tennessee at Missouri. Two SEC teams that are pretty good. Tennessee has had their ups and downs all year, transitioning from Hendon Hooker to Joe Milton Jr. the third. They've been scoring points, but they did it last week against UConn, who are 1-8 and eight and are dreadful. Missouri had a battle against Georgia. They came up short. Another a, a good game, a tough game. I like Missouri plus 1.5 at home to win this game. The Utes, Utah, visiting Washington. Washington beats USC in a scary game for them that they can overcome. Penix looked great. Utah is a great home team, and they get a huge win last week to kind of bounce back after that dreadful loss to Oregon. They'll compete, but they're, they don't have the talent this year because they don't have their quarterback and Cam Rising. They're missing pieces. Washington, nine and a half points, but I think they cover that at home. If it was on the road, I'd be betting Utah, but they're not. Ole Miss at Georgia. Ole Miss is still in a position to control their own destiny, getting to an SEC championship game, potentially getting into the college football playoff. They got a good quarterback. They got Junkins who can run the football, and they play a Georgia team who has not lost since 2021 in Athens. Georgia's a favorite by 10.5. Ole Miss can score, that's something they can do. What Georgia does is they close. I think Ole Miss is going to score some points in this game and keep it close because there's still no Brock Bowers for Georgia. I like Carson Beck. I think Georgia is the second best team in the country behind Michigan. But I think Ole Miss will score. Lane Kiffin's not going to win this game, but Lane Kiffin will keep Ole Miss in it. I like Ole Miss plus 10.5. It could be very well a 10-point win, but that extra half point gets you in the green. West Virginia and Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a 13.5-point fair. I like West Virginia plus 13.5. Texas at TCU. Texas, obviously, the pick. But the bigger news, Quinn Ewers is back. So he's going to be healthy down the stretch as they ride through the rest of these uh, Big 12 games. So good news for Texas. 
Duke, UNC. No Riley Leonard. Duke can't really put up points. North Carolina will get the win. And the final game of the day, USC at Oregon. Alex Grinch has gone new defensive coaches for USC. So I said, I think Oregon's one of the three best teams in the country. Bo Nix is a Heisman frontrunner, and I like Oregon a lot. But it's 14 and a half, and USC can score points. Caleb Williams can do it all. He might be the first overall pick in the draft. Oregon will win because they're the better team, offense, defense, special teams. Everywhere they're better. But I think USC will score, even though it's in Eugene. It's 11.30 kickoff, but you might wake up to winning a bet. USC plus 14 and a half. That's the football update. We see a lot of good football this weekend. So that should be that should be phenomenal. Let's go to hockey for a minute. Lots of things happening. The Boston Bruins continue to win games somehow. No Charlie McAvoy. <laughs> Still suspended. Charlie Coyle gets a hat trick last night. Pass next been good. Swayman, Allmark, doesn't matter. They have two. Guys that can slip in any game and make big saves. And they have one regulation loss, and it's November 10th. They, you know, Vegas now has two regulation losses. So Boston is ahead of them in, in the standings when it comes to that statistic. Mason Lowry, that defenseman, to me, he's going to be a player. He's, he's, already, he's a kid, but to me, he's not going back to Providence because he's too valuable. The way he skates, he's got it all. Two teams that don't have it all right now. Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton hit rock bottom last night. They're in the Shark Tank, playing the San Jose Sharks, and they lose. And they fall to 2-9-1 on the season. Connor McDavid is clearly hurt. He's not playing good hockey. He doesn't look confident. He's frustrated. And it doesn't get worse than losing to San Jose. It's a game you have to win, and not to mention, Jack Campbell started for the Bakersfield uh, Condors last night, and he let in three goals and 11 shots in the American Hockey League. So, yeah, it's not going great. For the Edmonton Oilers, their affiliates, anybody. It's just, it's not good. He ended up allowing four goals on the night on 20 shots, which, woof, not good. Dreisaitl hasn't scored in eight games. McDavid didn't have a point last night. Evan Bouchard's a flat-out disaster. Cody Ceci and the Darnell Nurse pairing cannot be cannot be out there together. I said, if you lose to San Jose, you have to fire Jay Woodcroft. But then they made the Jack Campbell move, sending him down to the minors. So I thought that might might be the the band aid. 
But even after sending down Jack Campbell and you have days off, but you play Monday, then you don't play till Thursday. You're in San Jose and you lose. I just don't know if this team's inspired anymore. And trading away players currently is not it's not easy. It's November. And who are you trading? As much as people hate Darnell Nurse, you're going to trade Darnell Nurse for what? What are you getting in return? Who's taking on the contract? It's, it's, it's not a viable option. It's not going to happen. Trade Cody Cece. Again, to whom and for what? The only, solu- the only option, because it's not a solution, is you fire the coach. And again, I don't even think it's the right decision. But you're two nine and one, and you're not going to make a trade because it's it does it's just not going to happen. So you have to do something to change the momentum, to change the feeling, because the Oilers season could be over really soon. It's November, but you have to talk about the standings, which is staggering. But it needs to be said because guess what? This is where they are. The Edmonton Oilers. They're tied with San Jose with five points. The entire NHL. Five points. Four points back of the shit flames. Five points back of the Preds. Five points back of Connor Bedard's Blackhawks. Seven back of the Wild. They are... The Golden Knights have... (laughs) The Golden Knights have 18 more points than the Oilers. The Canucks have 21 points with a game in hand on on, on Vegas. The Canucks have two regulation losses, and it's November 10th. They have been phenomenal. The best story in the NHL, bar none. LA isn't too shabby either with 19, 8-2-3. Stupid gimmicks are 3-on-3. That team be better, but that's besides the point. You have five points. The Calgary Flames have been a disaster, but the Edmonton Oilers have won one game this year inside an NHL arena because the other one was outside. One win in an NHL arena. It can go, well, maybe we'll do it after the next game. Well, what's what's the next game? The Edmonton Oilers play... Tomorrow? Tomorrow in Seattle. Okay. You can look at it and go, we got Seattle on our schedule. We're excited. They're excited to play you. Seattle went into Colorado last night and won a game. Seattle hasn't had a good start. But the Edmonton Oilers cannot look at anybody and go, oh, we got this team in our schedule. Because you can look at it and go, oh, we got Seattle. Then we got the Islanders. That's great. Okay. So we have the Kraken again. Stupid scheduling. Twice in one week. That might look easy. But you've beaten two teams all year long. Your two best players are a disaster. Your defense score. Evan Bouchard is the best slap shot in the league. And he's got no strength to box out anybody in front of the net. It's staggering. The, the splits with that guy. So if no trade's going to be available, 
you have to fire the coach. Can this team play with structure? Can this team get a damn save? Calgary bought in Daryl Sutter. I don't think it's a terrible idea. If he would be the guy you bring in to coach the team. Huberto, I saw this on Insider Trading, which is on TSN. Huberto, it was it was a quote. Huberto just has no problems with the coach in Calgary. Well, he had problems with Daryl Sutter, and he sucked last year. And now he sucks this year. So is it the coaching, or is it just that he isn't that good of a player anymore? Ryan Huska, first-year players coach, and then the hard-nosed Daryl Sutter. You're garbage in both seasons, and you get benched by both guys. Maybe it's just your play. Jay Woodcroft, I think, is a good coach. But sometimes you just need to change up the vibe. And I hate the word vibe because it's a young person's thing to say and it's stupid. But anyway, sometimes you just need a new aura in the locker room. You need a new feel. A lot of these times, the coach doesn't deserve to get it. Is it Jay Woodcroft's fault that Evan Bouchard can't box out a player in front of the net? Or that he takes every wrong decision when he gets the puck on his stick in his own zone? No. Is it his fault that Darnell Nurse struggles? When uh, the opposition has numbers and he doesn't know who to take or where to go in the middle of the ice? No. Is it his fault that Leon Dreisaitl can't score a goal or Zach Hyman hasn't had a great start or Connor Brown can't stay healthy? No. But them's the breaks. You lose to San Jose, it can't just be looked at as another loss and we're going to turn this around, yada, yada, yada. I don't think you can. Ken Holland said last summer he's retiring at the end of the year. So he's in no risk of losing a job because he's going to be losing the job regardless when he steps away. Maybe he doesn't want to fire a coach knowing that he's not going to be around. But ownership might. Ownership definitely believes, because they hear it from their hockey people, that we can win a Stanley Cup this year. We have the two best players in the league, which I agree with. We have the team to do it. We can compete with anybody. And then you look up and go, two, we're tied with San Jose with five points. The Ottawa Senators have five more points than us. Jesus, we're in trouble. The game's tomorrow, and it's quick to fire a coach. But would I be stunned if Jay Woodcroft fired today? No. Because you just lost to San Jose, and it doesn't get worse than that. It, it really doesn't get worse than losing to the San Jose Sharks. A team where Logan Couture, you could argue the team's best player, is not playing because he's injured. You're losing to that team without their best player. Woof. Pivoting to the Maple Leafs. That game Wednesday night, what a performance that was. First, I'll start with the positive. I think Max Domi continued to play him at center. He's been great the last two games. Toronto's new favorite pet there, whether he's a mouse or a rat or whatever. The media loves him. Nick Robertson, he's small, and they, you, people love him. 
He's the new pet. He's fine with him. Again, not an NHL player if you ask me, but they play well together. Whatever. Keep playing Max Domi at center. I think you're going to get better results because I think he's been very good the last two games. Bill Nylander, point straight to start. He was he was the best player on Wednesday night on the Toronto Maple Leafs again, which he has on most nights, even though McDavid, uh, sorry, Matthews has scored a pile of goals. Nylander's been phenomenal. He's going to get a check, continue to play well, whether it's from the Maple Leafs or not. And hey, Bill, because we're pals, because we look the same, and I care for you, man. There's more to life than playing in Toronto, just saying. You do what you want to do. It's your life, boo. But just saying, there's more to life than playing in Toronto. In front of all those rich people and the real fans are at home. Sucking down Bud Lights. So that's positive. John Klingberg is unplayable right now for the Maple Leafs. You can talk about Domi being uh, disappointing over the first month and change of the season. Tyler Bertuzzi being lackluster. All true. The worst signing of the free agents, and it's not close, has been John Klingberg. His game on Wednesday night, I don't know if it could have been worse. Three separate times, he had a breakout pass, just connect it. Connect the pass, break it out of the zone. He iced it three times. Other times in the game, he's got the puck. He's holding on to it too long. He's doing his little figure eight C cuts that he likes to do with his long-ass legs. And he, he just he throws the puck to the other team. And Mark Giordano, God bless his soul, older than Methuselah, is out there trying to cover up for him, and he can't because he's not as good as he used to be. So you have 40-year-old Gio getting killed. Klingberg were just a complete disaster. But the thing is, it's not an overreaction to one game because Klingberg's been awful from jump. He's no threat in the power play. You're giving him $4.1 million to bring you nothing. Because as I said before, if he doesn't bring you anything offensively, he isn't worth a fuck. He can't defend. He makes stupid decisions. His skating is overrated, not, not under. He's not, I don't think he's that good of a skater. He just makes it look fancy with his little stick motion and... Can't win a puck battle. Can't complete a pass. He was by bar none the worst player on the ice. And you're, and you're paying him $4.1 million. But about a swing. But a, that was a miss. Yesterday at practice, he was the seventh defenseman. And it sounds like they're going to go 11-7 and seven tonight in Toronto when they play the Calgary Flames. I think because he's he's going to be in, but they're also putting in Lagasin and Lajoie, every guy, and Ryan Reeves is going to be a healthy scratch. Because Ryan Reeves hasn't been good either. Ryan Reeves hasn't exactly been Mr. Dependable, Mr. Great Player, quite frankly. It's something else. 
Ryan Reeves, bad signing. John Klingberg, bad signing. Bertuzzi and Domi, wait and see. But two of the four have been flops for the Maple Leafs. And I said from the um, I admit when I'm wrong and I admit when I'm right on this podcast. I said from the beginning, I hated the Reeves signing, made no sense to me, and it still doesn't, especially three years. Gonna buy him out after the first year. And Klingberg was never gonna work because I, I just don't like the player. You know, it's all it's so crazy to me that you you can undervalue the ability to break the puck out of a zone and defend. And that's a weakness. And it is. That's how it's looked on now. Oh, oh you, you can't get 60 points a season. You can't do this. You know why Quinn Hughes is, is so great this year in Vancouver? It's because of his ability to break the puck out of his own zone effectively. It's not the points. It's not di- dip and dangle through the neutral zone. It's not that bullshit that he did before. He can still do it. But when you can get the puck out of your zone effectively – push the puck off the ice, and create defense into offense, that is when you become a fucking killer. If you're a guy that we think that you can provide offense, but you can't get us into a position where you can create or at least have an effect on our team producing offense, you are a poser. You are a fraud. You are nothing. Because you're selling us a bill of goods and we're going to the cashier and she says, these are counterfeit hundreds. These aren't real bills. You can't buy the groceries because you're, you're leaking. Your bills are fucking, you got oil on me right now. It happens across the league. Jacob Slavin is so fantastic, but he will never be regarded for how good he really is. Oh, he doesn't get all these points, doesn't get goals. Keandre Miller is playing for the Rangers right now, if you're not familiar with him. It's pretty good. And I gotta admit, I picked the Rangers to miss the playoffs. I'm likely gonna be wrong on that. It's a bad take for me. But the the Rangers are red hot. They won another one last night. Panarin's been fantastic, much to my chagrin. And kudos to Peter LaViolette putting Alexi Lafreniere on the same line as our Tammy Panarin because those two have been killing it. It's really been the, the lifeline for Alexi's career. I mean, they won a game last night with Louis Domingue, former Moncton Wildcats, starting the game. Good for him. Going up against Marc-Andre Fleur, so two, uh, two French-Canadian goaltenders between the pipes. But Keandre Miller is becoming a star because he can move the puck up and down the ice. He's a great skater. Adam Fox is out, but they're still winning games, and the team doesn't look hampered because Keandre Miller is that good of a player. But you get Flames Toronto tonight. Huberto benched the entire third period on Tuesday, and Flames come back to win. They score three in the third. <laughs> he looked completely lost on the bench. Hall of Fame game, Flames, Maple Leafs. It's interesting. That should be fun tonight. The Oilers tomorrow night as well. Also, I saw Connor Bedard four point night last night in Tampa Bay. First rookie to score have a four point night since like the nineteen forties, I believe I read, which is crazy. He's starting to he's coming together. 
They won't be talked about much because Chicago sucks. And it the oxygen of the hockey world really gets sucked up when Canadian teams stink. Like the Senators have to be thrilled that the, the, the Leafs blue line as a disaster and the Oilers are even a bigger disaster because the Senators have 10 points. <laughs> the Senators are not good. Not good at all. They're poof. They lost a game last night. They should have won, but they couldn't get a save, and they're two games under 500. At this point of the season, Anton Forsberg had a 688 save percentage last night. Five goals against on 16 shots. That's not acceptable. Can't happen. That's garbage. Elias Pettersson was great last night like he usually is. Brock Besser's got 11 goals. It's good for second in NHL, only behind Austin Matthews. That's pretty good. Elias Pettersson leads the NHL in points. Pretty good. Quinn Hughes is fourth. <laughs> Quinn Hughes has 21 points in in 12 games. That's that's incredible. We have a Besser, Kyle Connor, who had a hat-trick last night for the Jets. We'll talk about more next week, the Jets, how good they've been. Quietly. I didn't expect them to be this good. Pasternak's got 10. He could have had 11 last night, but he gave the uh, hat trick to Charlie Coyle. We got games this weekend. Some interesting ones tonight. Sharks, Golden Knights. What we got tonight here? Hurricanes, Panthers, Capitals, Devils, Wild Sabres, Flyers, Ducks. We got NBA in-season tournament every Tuesday and Friday. Nets, Celtics, Clippers, Mavs, interesting. Lakers, Suns. How about those Pacers last night? Pacers beating Milwaukee despite the fact that Giannis puts up 50. You bet the Pacers over win total for the season. You feel good about that win. They can't. They don't play a lick of defense, but they can score 130 a night with anybody. Major League Baseball, Craig Council leaves Milwaukee. Looked like he was going to go to the Mets, but he leaves Milwaukee and signs a five-year, $40 million deal, $40-plus million deal with the Cubbies. Cubs then fired David Ross, so he spurns Milwaukee to go play for the Cubs. Same division, and he's the highest-paid manager in baseball history. Which is a big move for, for baseball to start paying their managers this kind of money. Tougher David Ross was part of the World Series team in 2016. Teams he had around him weren't all that good. They're rebuilding. But Craig Council... Swoops in and gets a great deal. Cleveland hires Stephen Vogt, who former catcher was in the big leagues a long time, was working with Seattle last year. Terry Francona retires. You bring in Stephen Vogt, a former player. This is really similar to David Ross. Vogt was a backup catcher. David Ross was a backup catcher. So he'll go into Cleveland, small market organization, see what he can do as a first-time manager with limited resources. Angels hire Ron Washington. Ron Washington, 71 years old, was the third base coach for the Braves, longtime manager with the Texas Rangers. He gets another opportunity. I'm happy for him. 
in baseball, you always see his face, always smiling. I don't like that he gets the Angels job because working with Artie Moreno is a disaster. Angels went from old school manager John Madden, sorry, uh, Joe Madden. Then they go to a new new guy that they don't like. Now they go back to Ron Washington. Will Ron Washington have Shoei Otani to work with? Will Mike Trout still be there? Questions to be answered. And the Mets hire Yankees hitting coach Carlos Mendoza, which to me is kind of like the Band-Aid Charlie Montoyo hire for the Blue Jays. They don't view him as the manager of the future. I think they're going to limit their payroll. I don't think they're going to be a great team next year, which is the smart thing to do. So hire a guy you don't mind firing when you want to start winning and competing for a World Series. And we're wrapping up today with the UFC. UFC 295 this weekend at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden, with a really fun card. Headline fight is former light heavyweight champion Yuri Prohaska fighting former middleweight champion Alex Pereira. Yuri has not fought in over a year since he had really serious uh, a serious shoulder injury, had to have surgery. Alex won the middleweight title this time last year against Israel Adesanya. He then dropped it to him in April, <coughs> beat Jan Blachowicz at 205 in July, and he's getting this title opportunity. So this could be two titles for him, winning them both at Madison Square Garden, which would be incredible. This fight is going to be action. Two guys that just love to sit there and throw. I don't expect to see a lot of takedowns, a lot of wrestling. Just two guys in there throwing at one another. Alex is the slight favorite going into this, which surprises me. Because Brohaska is the former champion. Alex has never fought at 205 pounds in the UFC. He was fighting at 185. He could be a heavyweight. He's that big of a guy. He's a massive human being. Alex is the favorite. I think Prohaska is going to win the fight. I like Alex. Really good. A champion. Has one of the be- has, has had one of the best runs in recent memory in the UFC, being a champion so quickly, knocking out Sean Strickland, knocking out Adesanya, beating Jan Blachowicz, a former champion at 205 pounds himself. I just think Yuri's coming back. He's got that mentality. He's a, he's a great fighter. He can beat you in, in a multitude of different ways. I like Yuri Prohaska to get back the title that he never lost because he had to relinquish it to Jamal Hill. Co-main event, Sergey Pavlovich against Tom Aspinall for the interim heavyweight championship. John Jones was supposed to be on this, on this event, but he tore his pack. So he had to scramble. Pavlovich was the backup fighter when he was John, supposed to be John Jones, Stipe Miocic. Miocic only wants to fight John Jones. So Pavlovich steps in. He's going to be fighting the Brit Tom Aspinall, who is phenomenal. Pavlovich has finished his last six fights, all via knockout in the first first round. Aspinall won a, a had a knockout, a TKO win in the first round back in July in his return fight from a torn ACL. Again, these two guys are dangerous. These two guys are the future of the division. I don't think this can be the last time we see these two guys fight because I think you can build up fights with these two guys, Jelton Almeida. There's a lot of Cyril uh, gone. There's a lot of ways you can go. Tom and As- Tom Aspinall is a slight favorite over Pavlovich. I think Tom's great, but I think the Russian bear, 
Rushenbeer was preparing to be a backup fighter to make weight. Aspinall got the call a week and a half ago. If anybody's going to win a title in that quick of circumstances, it will be Tom Aspinall, like his friend Michael Bisping did against Luke Rockhold way back when. But I'm going to take Sergei Pavlovich, the Russian bear, to go out there and get the win. Pavlovich has been there. He's knocked out Derek Lewis. He's knocked out Curtis Blades. He's been in there with the best in the heavyweight division. And I'm going to give it to him to go out there and win the fight. Below that, you have Jessica Andrash, who's fighting Mackenzie Dern. Andrash has fought five times this year, going one and three in those in those fights. Dern has fought once. She beat Angela Hill back in June. Mackenzie Dern's quite a big favorite at minus 215. Andrash, a former champion. Andrash is a better striker than Mackenzie Dern, but Mackenzie was will want to get this fight to the ground into those type of situations. I think Mackenzie will come on on top. I like her to win this fight. Matt Frivola versus Ben. This fight is awesome. If you're not familiar with UFC, get on the pay-per-view. And you say, oh, I don't know any of these guys. Matt Frivola, Benoit Saint-Denis is going to be a war. Both these two guys love to sit there and strike. Saint-Denis has always said, I'll go in there and die. I don't care what happens. I just want to win the fight. Frivola... Had a huge win against Drew Dober, knocking him out a few months ago. St. Denise fought three times this year, all getting finishes in those fights. St. Denise is a pretty big favorite. I think he has more ways. He can get you to the ground, get you with ground and pound, or submit you. Favola is just a striker to me, and he's a dangerous one. And if he connects with your chin, you're going to go down. So... It's not a horrible bet to bat on Matt Frivola in this fight because I think he's got the skills. He has all the things you'd want to pull off an upset. But Saint-Denis to me is just a surging contender in the lightweight division. He is so calculated. He's so strong. There's really no holes in his game. I like Saint-Denis to get another win to cap off 2023. Here's an underdog. I do, another underdog I like. Diego Lopez fighting Pat Sabatini. Lopez had a fight to start his UFC career. He fought Mofsar uh, Evolov. Evolov's never lost as a pro. Diego Lopez nearly beat him, nearly submitted him three times. He comes out in his next fight, and he gets a first-round finish. He's fighting Pat Sabatini, who's good, very good. A lot of different ways he can beat you. He's a submission specialist. I think you're going to see a crafty fight in this one. Two guys that can leg locks, uh, rear naked chokes. Anything can happen with these two, but I think Diego Lopez is on the rise. He's on the come up. He has the momentum. He is going to go out there and finish Pat Sabatini. Other fights, I like Tabitha Ricci, uh, a good a Godinez for a, a female fight is awesome. I don't know which one. I don't trust that one yet. Mavsar Ibeki against Roosevelt Roberts, who is on the Ultimate Fighter. He gets called in on short notice. Get this opportunity. Good for Roosevelt. Uh, Jared Gordon versus Mark Madsen. Mark Madsen at plus 158. I like Madsen as well. He had his first professional loss his last time. I think he bounces back and gets a win. Also, UFC News, UFC 297 in Toronto. Sean Strickland will defend his middleweight title against Drickus Duplessis. So that's the headliner in Toronto. The, the, the co-main event is for the uh, vacant Bantamweight title between uh, Raquel Pennington and Buena Bruna Silva. 
Also on that card, you're going to get Chris Curtis and Marc Andre Barrio, 185, Mike Malott and Neil Magny at 170. So a number of Canadians are on the card. It's back in Toronto. Tickets are crazy expensive because I looked into it. But great to see the UFC back in Canada. UFC 298 in Australia. Alex Volkanovski, Ilya Teporia. Love that fight. Volk getting a fight back at home. And I think Teporia is, is his biggest threat at featherweight since Max Holloway. And you have UFC 299 in March. Sean O'Malley and Marlon Cheeto Vera. So that's the UFC rundown. It's going to be an interesting weekend. i got buddies coming up watching the fights. I'm looking forward to being around them. Also, to finish up the show, thank you to our troops, to the members of our military. Tomorrow, tomorrow's Remembrance Day. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for having the courage that I do not have to go out there and fight and protect this country. And lest we forget those who have perished in years past in that went and fought for this country and didn't make it home. So Remembrance Day is always an important thing to remember and, and celebrate. And just what I like to do at 11 a.m., I just I, I put my I just I stand in silence for two minutes because I think it's the least that you can do to show respect to the people that make our life the way it is possible. So thank you and happy Remembrance Day to our military members. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy it. Enjoy the UFC. Good luck to the Oilers. Talk to you on Monday. It's to the point.